and memorise it. I'll take the first nine verses. Don't have to do the lot. Romans chapter 4, however, is this morning's, which some of you have already memorised, which is really good. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to a man who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised, but also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. Under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after you were circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised who not only are circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he'd be the heir of the world but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings wrath and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed the God who gives life to the dead and call things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said of him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, 
but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He, has, he was delivered over to death for our sins, but was raised to life for our justification. Yes. was a water glass in there. Oh, well done. I even thought this morning, I thought, I've got to take the water glass out before I move the lectern. Let's open in prayer. Father God, thank you so much that you are our God. Lord, thank you that you are the one who is faithful and true, that you are the one whose promises are good and are trustworthy, and are for our benefit. Lord, thank you that, that our faith is not a, a something which tumbles about in a void, Lord, but that it is faith on the one who is faithful. Lord, thank you that your promises are guaranteed to us. Lord, that your grace is assured to us. Lord, that your goodness in sending your Son to die and to be raised to life means our justification and our life. And Lord, we come before you this morning in various states. Lord, some of us have had fantastic weeks. Others of us have not. Lord, some of us are, are, are feeling on top of the world. Others are, are feeling sick or disheartened or whatever. Lord, in all these things, we come to you because you are the God who is faithful. Lord, we come to you because our faith, despite all things, is firmly held on the God who is good and is true. And so, Lord, as we look at, at this whole mystery of faith and the splendor of grace, Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds and our ears Lord, that we might hear from you, that we might be challenged when it comes to how we deal with faith in every day. Lord, that we might be encouraged by how you deal with us every day. Lord, that we might be changed so that we could be like our father Abraham, people whose faith does not waver but is strengthened to your glory. Amen. Oh, isn't it good to be in the, the happy part of Romans? <laughs> Last week we started chapter 3, verse, verse 21, forwards, and we looked at that fantastic passage, a righteousness that is by faith. Uh, what did Paul there? A righteousness from God apart from the law, made known and testified to by the law and the prophets, Jesus has been so good to us. And, and I hope you all went home last week going, yes! fantastic, we can have salvation because what God has done, He has righteous us. He has justified us. Just by the way, as you read through the book of Romans, uh, righteous, 
righteousness, justice, justify. Um, they're pretty much the same word in the original language. We, we just don't have a, a word in English which, which means justify and reckon righteous and, and, and all of these things it's, and good and justify are the same thing. So uh, whenever you read a word that says righteous, read it again with justify in there. And when you read justify, read it again with righteous in there. When you read good, read it again with, with just. Uh, it's, it's amazing the depth of what Paul gets into those few little words. So we've come this morning to Romans chapter 4 and, and the story of Abraham and his faith. Now I know that many of us used to sing Father Abraham in Sunday school and as kids, but I wonder if we, if we really take it seriously. Father Abraham, our father in the faith, our example, uh, in a sense we want to be like him, people who, who, who trust God and who, like Abraham, are justified by God. Now, there, there's a lot of stuff in this passage which you might think, oh, has got nothing to do with me, Nick. I know about circumcision. Don't worry, I'm not planning to get circumcised. It's fine. I don't need to read this passage. Or, I'm not a Jew. Why should I bother about the law? But you know that this passage has got an incredible amount to say to us. I think it it really, it speaks about, wow, the, the faith coming through, well, justification coming through faith. And, and I think what Paul wants to say to us is that, well, really, we are not justified by what we do, and we're especially not justified by the religious stuff that we do. Instead, we are justified only and solely through grace. And it's guaranteed. Isn't that a great uh, putting together of words in verse 16 there? It is by faith so that it could be by grace, and it's guaranteed. Guaranteed grace. It, it kind of is, is God's sense. It's brilliant stuff. So, if we're going to talk about Abraham, we need to know something about the life of Abraham. Abraham, uh, not a young man at, this, at the stage when God first meets him and calls him out from his home, from his family, and says, Abraham, I am going to take you to a new land. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. People who bless you are going to be blessed. People who curse you, they're going to be cursed. Through you, Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 12, all peoples will be blessed. And so Abraham goes out and and in faith he follows God and he, he goes on this journey towards the promised land. And he goes in and he goes out and he goes in and he goes out. And throughout this journey, God keeps appearing to him and saying, Abraham, I will bless you. I will give you descendants. And we get to chapter 15, the, the most amazing chapter. God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to, to look up to the sky. By the way, they've cleaned the skylights. Isn't it good? Look up to the sky <laughs> and you see the stars up there. Count them, Abraham. <laughs> That many stars, so will your descendants be. 
And the Bible tells us, and this is the crux of what Paul is arguing in Romans 4, Abraham looked and he trusted God. And he trusted God's promise. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Isn't that a fantastic thing? But as Paul's writing this, he's writing it to a context where the Jewish people were saying, Abraham is our father. And we know that the reason Abraham is a good bloke and somebody we should all emulate is because Abraham obeyed God. Abraham did the right stuff. And it's true, we're told, God says in, in what is it, Isaiah chapter 40, 41, he, he says, Abraham's my friend, but, but in Genesis 26 verse 5, God says, Abraham obeyed my voice and he kept my charge, he kept my commandments, he kept my statutes, and he kept my laws. And the Jewish people go back and say, look at that, there is a man who does what God says to do. He follows the commandments of God. Even before the law is given, he is following the law. Therefore, he is right before God. Therefore, God considers him a friend. Because he worked hard enough. Because he pleased God. And you know, this sounds ridiculous to our ears. But that was the teaching of the rabbis at the time Paul was writing. Abraham was a faithful man. That, that was what they said. His work was that he had enough faith. And he obeyed God enough. And Paul comes along and he says, what were you guys smoking when you read your Bible? Because that is absolutely not what it says. Paul comes along and says, no, Abraham isn't God's friend because he does all the right things, because he works hard enough. Abraham is God's friend because he trusted God. Because when God said, I will give you the impossible, Abraham said, I don't know how you're going to do it, God. I don't know whether it's going to be possible, but I trust you. And when you call me, I will go. And that is what is counted as righteousness to Abraham. Now, notice the order there, because the order is really important. God says, I will bless you. Abraham says, I believe you will. Not as so often we would have it, I'll do enough, and then God will bless me. And, and you know, we, us preachers and us Christians keep hammering this, this idea home, but but you know, it's, it's so true for all of us. If we do good enough, then we will be in the good books of God. Or even in the good books of each other. I, I was looking through my bookshelves, and, and I've got my, my Clive Cussler, and my Agatha Christie, and my Alistair MacLean, and my Dick Francis. And you know what, what binds all of these? They're all good books. What binds them all together is that they're about good guys proving how good they are and doing down the baddies. This is Paul. You 
can't prove how good you are. We've already covered that stuff. We're all rotters, chapters 1 to, to chapter 3, verse 20. We're all rotters. But, but the good news, the good news is that God has already said, I am here to bless you. He came to Abram and said, I want to bless you, Abram. And Abraham said, do it. And Paul goes on and he says, you know, it's, it's not just Abraham who clicked that this is how we are made right with God, by trusting him. He goes forward to, to King David, and, and we all know what a wonderful man King David was to kill a man so that he could marry his wife. Great king who sinned greatly. And yet in Psalm 32, these fantastic words, um, chapter 4, verse 7 quotes them, Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never reckon against him or never credit against him. Here is King David, like Abraham, realizing that in order to be right with God, it's just trusting in God. In fact, if you read through the rest of Psalm 32 towards the end, we find that, that the reason David can express this, this amazing truth that God does not count our sin against us is because David turned to God. Fantastic Psalm 32. St. Augustine apparently had Psalm 32 placed over his bed on his last days so that he could read it as he was dying. And he could every day again be challenged by it and be encouraged by it. Blessed is God who, who not only reckons righteousness to us, but who also refuses to reckon our sin against us. So it says, Paul, first off, faith, it's not about what we do. Faith is about trusting God. Now that sounds so easy, doesn't it? Faith is about trusting God. And, and, and it sounds so easy that we might be tempted to, to sort of add on to that a little bit. Oh yes, faith, faith is about trusting God. And, and in order to trust God, I, I will do this. And I will do that. And I will do the next thing. And, and, and faith is about trusting God. So I'll be at church at 5 a.m. every Sunday because I want to faith that trusts God. And faith is about trusting God. And so I will go and I will help the lepers even though I can't stand the sight of them because faith is about trusting God. And Paul goes on and he says, you know what? I look at the, the Jewish people and they've gone into this exact same trap. Yes, faith is about trusting God and so we will prove it. If you're not circumcised, you're not part of God's people. If you're not circumcised, then, then, then you don't have faith. If you don't play religion properly, then you're not right with God is where they come out at. And I think this is where we need to, to bring this whole circumcision thing to us. It, 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 I mean, it's not a big issue in itself today, but, but it's about playing religion. 
and confusing signs with the things which they point to. What do we see here? Uh, Paul tells us in, in chapter 4, verse 9, he says, is, is this blessedness of not having our sins reckoned against us, is it for the circumcised or for the uncircumcised as well? We have been saying Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And Paul says, right, let, let's, let's think about this, people. When was Abraham made right with God? Oh, gosh, I wonder. I just quoted it. Genesis chapter 15, verse 3 ish. Uh, uh, Abraham believed God there at the beginning and it was credited to him as righteousness. Right there, chapter 15, God, God credited righteousness to Abraham. Uh, and you can just sort of see Paul as he's writing this, going, ah, I've got them now. Right, when was Abraham credited as righteous in God's eyes? Chapter 15. Now tell me, and, and, and when was he circumcised? Oh, well, 14 years later. I think it's about Genesis 17-ish. Don't quote me on that. Uh, But after Ishmael is born, in fact, when Ishmael is 13 years old, then only does circumcision come into the story. And so Paul is is like going at them and saying, let's get our logic straight, people. (laughs) Righteous here, circumcised here, tell me, which which one takes precedence? Righteousness that is by faith, not by what we do, not by the sign or the seal. And Paul Paul says, yes, yes, this is a sign, this is a seal, this is something which really happened. And God said, actually in, in Genesis, he said to Abraham, I want you to circumcise yourself and all the males in your household because I want you to have a sign and a seal that you are my people. I want you to have a reminder that you are in a right state before me. But the reminder doesn't mean anything if it doesn't point you back to what it's supposed to remind you of. It's not like there was a magic rite that when a Jewish boy at the age of eight days got the operation, suddenly he was justified before God. Rubbish. No, what matters is faith is trusting in God. Uh, A few months back, we were looking through John, and we came to John chapter 8. Do you remember that passage? Where Jesus is is having an argument with some people who who said, we want to follow you, but we don't really. And, And Jesus says to them, you know, if you were really the children of Abraham, you would be trying to do what, what, what he would do. You would be longing for me. You would be putting your faith in me. Instead, you're trying to kill me. Abraham never did anything like that. Because the the rite and the ritual is just meant to be a reminder of the faith and the fact that God, by his grace, has credited righteousness towards us. And you know, we, we are so good 
at falling into this exact same trap. I'm sure we've, we've all encountered people or churches where, I mean, baptism, fantastic. Baptism, everyone should be baptized. In fact, we're told to get baptized. But you know, getting baptized doesn't save you. How many people do you know who have been baptized and who are not in the church and who will not darken a church's doorstep? Because the rite and the ritual, although it is good and proper and meant to remind us, it means nothing if the faith isn't there. It means nothing if we haven't got that right relationship with God. That comes first. And the rest is meant to be a reminder for us. Baptism, Lord's Supper, going to church, going to Bible study groups. You know, all these things are fantastic things, but, but, but with the playing religion means nothing. Playing religion means nothing. If there isn't underneath it all that basis where we go to God and say, God, I know your promises. I know your goodness. And I believe that you will be true to your word. And that what you have promised me, you will bring to fulfillment. As Paul says elsewhere, I know him whom I have I've believed. And that he is able to keep that which we have entrusted until the day when he returns. I know him to whom I've put my life and my livelihood and my everything, my every hope. Abraham leaving his home, leaving his family, having no descendants, no one to pass on his heritage to. He's getting to the age of what, 99, 100, Sarah is, well, she's still a spring chicken at 90. And just knowing this impossible, God, how can it be that this cannot, I've got to start making alternative plans, God. And God says, no. Here is my promise. Will you believe me? And this is why Paul goes on at the end of chapter 4 and he speaks about the faith of Abraham. Abraham, who, whose faith was by no means perfect. You read through the Genesis story and <laughs> this guy makes some pathetic mistakes. Some really horrible mistakes. But, but, but Paul's right. As he looks back over the whole of his life, he can say, you know what? Even though he had these moments of doubt when, when I mean, he, he tried to shortcut God's promise... Throughout it all, in general, Abraham's faith in God did not waver. He did not stop believing that God would bring his promises to fruition. And sometimes he had a lot of faith that God would do that. <laughs> like that time in Genesis 15 when he saw the stars. Faith level up there. Yes, God, I believe you can do it. I believe you can keep your promises. It's good. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. 
You, you know those times when we believe God can do anything? And then just a little while later, he, he, he has Ishmael to the concubine. And his faith level is down there. Yeah, I believe God can do it, but I'll help him along. And you know, what we've got to remember is that the level of faith, the amount we trust God is not important. You see, if we think that the amount we trust God is important, we're falling back into works. Our faith, our trust in God becomes just another thing that we must do in order to make God happy for us or with us. No. We've got to have faith. We've got to believe God. But, but you know, what matters is not how much faith we have, like that man who said, I believe Jesus, help my unbelief. What matters is what we have faith in. What matters is what we have faith in. I like what John Stott said. He, he says, you know, faith isn't this unreasonable belief in the face of the truth. A lot of people out there will say, you know, faith is for people who, who can't survive the real world. Rubbish. Faith is entirely the most reasonable thing we can do. Because what is it? It's tr putting trust into the one who is absolutely trustworthy. Because of who we have faith in, we can be sure that our faith will not return to us as an empty dream. I mean, you all know the example that this chair, if, if I have faith that it will hold me up, does. You know what? I can have incredible faith that this chair will hold me up, but if Eric comes along with a hacksaw and takes off one of the legs, no matter how much faith I have in that chair, it's not going to hold me up. And you would never do anything like that, Eric. But because we have faith in the one who is absolutely trustworthy, we know that his promises are good and true. And what do we know about God? Well, we're told that Abraham knew two things. Verse 17. Abraham knew that God is the one who gives life to the dead and who calls things which are not as though they were. In other words, what Abraham knows is that the two impossible things, death from, life from death and making something from nothing, God just does. God is so powerful. God is so able. God can do whatever he wants. Abraham knows this, and he knows this, and he says, because I know who you are, God, because I know that your word is good, because I know that when you speak, anything happens, I can trust you. And yes, it seems impossible. Yes, it seems like there's no way that you can bring about what you've promised. But you're the God of the impossible. <laughs> I mean, life from death, something from nothing. I can trust you. And yes, even when, when I look around me and it is impossible, and there is no hope, no hope in a million years that, that what you've said to me can come true, 
I'm dead. I'm 99 years old. Sarah's 90. It's impossible, God. And yet I will hope against hope because so trustworthy are you that everything else, you can do whatever. And that's glorying. That is glorying God. You know, as, as Abraham made this journey, he faced all sorts of oppositions. And time and again, it seemed like God's great promises to him were going to be undone, that he would never enter into the land, that he would never have descendants. Time and time again, Abraham said, no, I will trust in God. And what did that do? That grows his faith. And it's not a stubborn, I will trust in God, I will trust in God, and I will trust Him enough. It, it's, a, it's more of a, I, I will trust God because I know what He has done in the past. And I know He is true to Himself. And I know that He will do what He has promised. It's not a case of I must trust Him enough so that He will come through. It's, it's just a case of how can I not trust Him? God, I will trust you because you are good. You know, sometimes, well, I, I think Abraham is such a good person for us to, to consider and to try to emulate as, as our father Abraham because he went through the same things we go through. Like us, God came to him and said, I will bless you. And like us, he said, yes, Lord, I believe and I trust in you. And like us, what God promised seems impossible. Jesus is going to come back and he's going to wipe away all death and sorrow and mourning and tears and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and it's going to be fantastic. That's impossible. Honestly, that's impossible. Anybody here ever had a twinge saying, oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, but we'll, we'll help God along a little bit. We'll, we'll do some social justice. We'll, we'll get rid of all the people uh, who are being tormented by disease, will solve all the world's problems, will we'll make heaven come on earth. What God promises is impossible. Except for one thing, is <laughs> the God of the impossible. And like Abraham, in fact more than Abraham, we can look back and see evidence of what this impossible doing God has done. Abraham knew two things. He knew that God is the one who gives life to the dead and who calls things which are not as though they were. And this is where Paul goes at the end of chapter 4. He says, you know what? Let's bring this home to us. It's, it's about Jesus.
the one who died and was brought to life. And the one who was brought out of the nothingness of ourselves new life. And the one who has made all that we see before us by the breath of his mouth. Abraham did not waver in his faith. He didn't fall into the trap of, of, of I've got to do enough to please God. He just said, God, I know your word is good and I will trust you. And that is why he is our father. Because the same way God justified him is the way he justifies us. By our putting simply... I mean, it's such... Anna Marie, you said it. It is so simple. <laughs> I trust you, Jesus. Because you said you want me as your very own. Chapter 4, verse, verse 25 there. Uh, verse 23, the words that was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed are you whose sins are covered. Blessed are you whose sin the Lord will never count against you. Blessed are you who have faith in the faithful one. Amen.